Well, you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. The sermon title today is Behold the Man. And the, the reason is because when Pontius Pilate led Jesus Christ out to the angry mobs. Jesus was dressed in a purple robe. He had a crown of thorns shoved onto his brow. And Pontius Pilate said three seismic words. He said, behold the man. And I kind of love that because he, he didn't know it, but he was giving us our doctrine of scripture and the goal of preaching. When we preach when we read the Old Testament, what we're doing it for, what we're aiming at is to behold the man, to behold the man Jesus, the new Adam. Behold the better Jacob. Behold the reality that every shadow of these stories points to. Behold the man who was God and who would take away the sins of the world by being stricken and smitten by God. So today we're going to read uh, this story of Jacob wrestling, what the text calls a man. And we're going to practice beholding. Because scripture is here to help us behold Jesus and see him through all the stories of the Bible and all the characters of the Bible. So uh, there is so much going on in these chapters in Genesis, I can't say all the things as much as I would love to. So what we're going to do is in four points... In each of the four points, talk about Jacob and talk about Jesus, okay? So it might feel like I'm making leaps, but again, Jesus said himself in Luke 24, this whole book is about me. All the stories, all the characters, all the shadows, all the types, all the patterns are to help us behold the man. So we're just gonna dive straight into that today. So the text is Genesis 32, 22 through the middle of 33 in four points, wrestling at night, touched by God, named by God, and limping at sunrise. So let me ask Lord, uh, the Lord for help right now. So Heavenly Father, would you help us to behold Christ with the eyes of faith through the power of your spirit as we preach your word? I ask that you will unburden the burdened, heal the broken, and save the lost. Amen. Amen. All right, Genesis 32, starting in verse 22. The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, 
for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel. Uh, sorry, I lost my spot. Um, he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and thus he took it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, here's a remarkable thing. Jacob, in the section of the chapter we didn't read because it's just too long, in the beginning of 32, he comes across, he's coming home from Laban's camp, and he comes across a camp of heavenly warriors, a camp of angels. And he names the place Mechanaim because it means camps. So he's come across this camp of heavenly warriors, and then everything that he does from that point changes. Now, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to get just from the story, but what's happening is Jacob is putting himself between the greatest threat and his family. So he's passed a camp of warriors, and one of them is going to catch up to him and wrestle him at the stream. And then he hears that Esau is coming from the other direction with 400 men. So they're sandwiched on either side by people that they think are going to be adversaries. They're going to be aggressive toward them. Jacob knows the greatest danger is probably heaven's warriors. So he crosses the ford with his family at night. He crosses the Jabbok, gets them as far away as quickly as they can from the angels. Isn't that strange? And then he goes back and he waits on the other side. He puts himself between the threat and his family. And then after that threat is sort of dealt with in a subversive way, he goes to the front of the train and puts himself between the threat of Esau and his family. So that's the scene that we find ourselves in right now. So Jacob, as I said, ushers his family through the fort of the Jabbok, a very flat, fast flowing, deep uh, stream or river at night at a very treacherous time. And then he moves back across himself. So here's the scene. He wades across this Jabbok, and the sun goes down, 
And then after separating himself from his family, he's utterly alone. And the text says, a man came and wrestled with him all through the night. Now, if we've been following along in the Jacob story, we know that Jacob has something like superhuman strength. Uh, in staff meeting, we just call him Superman all the time because in several chapters ago, when he met Rachel, he moved a boulder off the mouth of a well that took many men to move. He just kind of Hulk strength it off the mouth of the well. He's incredibly strong. So who is this man who will come pick a fight with mighty Jacob? Well, elsewhere in the Bible, this man is called an angel. So we know it's no mere man. But Jacob himself says in verse 30 of chapter 32, he says, I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So we know it's also no mere angel. Now, it's important to note that God is not an angel, but this angel is God. And we call it the angel of the Lord, and it's all over in the Old Testament. And we know it's God for so many reasons, but one, he accepts worship at times. Only God may accept worship. This is the angel of the Lord. It's God himself taking on some kind of angelic human form to physically grapple with Jacob. This is not an existential crisis he's having. It's physical. It's sweaty and bloody and painful. And I had to be sure this week, so I studied this a lot um, before I say something bold like this is God. And I got some certainty from Hosea 12, verses 3 through 5. It makes it very clear. So let me read that to you. Hosea 12, 3 to 5. It says, In the womb, he, Jacob, took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of armies, the Lord is his memorial name. Now, because of the way Hebrew parallelism works, and this is a parallelism in poetry, we can be theologically and grammatically certain that he is equating angel with God with the Lord. Those are all synonymous terms in Hosea. So when Jacob asks his name, the man who was an angel who was God replies, why do you ask my name? But the later prophet Hosea says, the Lord, the God of armies, the Lord is his memorial name. That's who this is. So Jacob wrestled God. But the fact that Jacob wrestled God is not the most astonishing thing about this story to me. What's even more astonishing and incredible is that Jacob won. Jacob prevailed. Now, one of our core, um, the things that we say about the Bible, that we believe about the Bible, is we trust the Bible and we're not afraid of the Bible. So we don't try to explain away hard things to make us feel better. We take the text as God has given us the text and we trust him with what we don't understand. And incredibly, Jacob wins the wrestling match. The man says to him when he calls him Israel in verse 28, he says, you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. So the question is, how did Jacob prevail upon God? How did he win? It was not by human strength. Jacob prevailed through prayer and through pleading. You may have caught it. He says, I won't let you go until you bless me. 
Now in English, that sounds very strong and kind of demanding, right? Um, and certainly there's tenacity here. I mean, he clung on all night long, but he's not actually in a position of strength uh, and he's not making demands. Here's how Hosea again interprets this. And we let the Bible interpret the Bible. Hosea 12:4. it says, Jacob strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept, he wept and sought his favor. That's what's going on. He could not best God by strength, but he could receive the blessing and favor of God through prayer and through pleading. So God allowed himself to be overcome by a man so that he could bless Jacob. And that's not the last time that God allows himself to be overcome. It's not the last time we see God as a man who will be prevailed upon. So let's do what I said we're going to do. We're going to talk about Jesus now. That's the Jacob story. Let's talk about the Jesus story for a moment. Remember, we started with Jacob near the Jabbok, the river that he forded. Well, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus was crucified, John 18 says that he crossed the brook Kidron. So there's our scene, Jesus, the sun's setting, he crosses the, the brook, the sun goes down, he separates himself from his disciples and he's left utterly alone. And there in the garden, he has a wrestling match with God. Do you remember, Jonathan Edwards wrote one of the most striking sermons I've ever read on this text and proved, I think, from scripture that what Jesus was experiencing in the garden was a real clear taste of how bad the agony of the cross would be. And remember, the physical pain of the cross wasn't the worst that Jesus had. The worst thing about the cross for Jesus was that he was bearing all the sin of humanity in the presence of his Holy Father and drank the wrath of God while conscious and he got a glimpse of that, a taste of it in the Garden of Gethsemane to the point where he's sweating blood from his face. And like Jacob, he pleads and he prays. He says, Luke 22, Father, if you are willing, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then the text says, there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. So <laughs> Jesus says, Father, please don't crush me. But if it's your will, then it's my will. Isaiah 53.10 says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. So Jesus allowed men to come and arrest him in that garden and lead him away and hang him on a cross. And while he's hanging there, he could have this is Yahweh of armies. He could have called down a military response from heaven to get him off that cross at any point. But he didn't. He allowed it. Jesus, the God become man, allowed himself to be overcome by man so that he could bless us. That's the wrestling at night. Jacob's story helps us behold 
the man. That's point number one. Point number two, touched by God. Now, I nearly titled this Touched by an Angel. I think anyone born in the 80s is going <laughs> to, would have rolled your eyes at that. Uh, look with me back at Genesis 32, 25. Uh, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, if you've done any sort of physical strength building activities or any kind of construction work or whatever, you'll know that a big part of your strength comes from your hips. And if your hips are out of joint, your whole strength is gone for the most part. You can't lift boulders anymore. It, it, it's this linchpin of weakness in your body or strength in your body. And this man, again, lest we think that Jacob really did out, you know, strength, out wrestle God. Uh, the Hebrew has this remarkable thing. Hebrew grammar is incredible, guys. There's a way to take one word and intensify it so that the word break in Hebrew can get intensified to mean shatter. Isn't that cool? Language is awesome. This word isn't that. It's the simple form. It's just touch. It could be the merest touch, just a gentle little nudge. The man didn't have to do much of anything to win that fight. When he decided it was over, it was over, and he just touched him. And that touch brought an end to all of Jacob's strength. There was no more wrestling for him in his future. There's no more running. The thing that he relied on was taken from him, and he emerged a new man. Perhaps you know what it's like to become a new person because the thing that you thought would save you was taken from you and you had to utterly rely on God's grace. Then we read in Genesis 33 that when he finally meets up with his brother Esau, there's no more, I mean, we know Jacob's the trickster, right? Like by now we know the character of Jacob. And when you meet Jacob and Esau, what's he doing? He's bowing right? He's humbling himself. He's saying, you're my Lord and I'm your servant. He's giving him gifts. He offers him back the blessing that he stole. That's not the Jacob that I know. Do you see that character transformation? Something happened when God touched him and he became new. After 20 years of hostility and estrangement, they're finally able to reconcile. Can you imagine? Remember, Jacob going to get a wife from Laban way up in Paddan Aram in the north was just a pretext for him trying not to get killed by his brother who was really angry. So 20 years, this anger and resentment's just growing and growing. So what allowed them to finally reconcile? It was that Jacob had finally learned that his boast was not in his strength or his deception his wrestling skills, but in God's free grace. He received the blessing freely from God and then counted everything as loss. If you receive God's free grace, nothing else matters to you like it used to. Everything gets at once more valuable because it's from your father and less valuable because the whole universe belongs to you in Christ. And so you can go and Bow seven times to the one that you need to reconcile with and say, take it, it's yours. Do you know that touch of God? He was able to offer peace to Esau because he'd been broken. 
So Jacob was stricken. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. We're going to spend some time in Isaiah 53 today. It's always worth spending time in Isaiah 53. Let me read to you verses 4 through 5. Isaiah, the prophet, is prophesying about Jesus Christ. He says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him, in Hebrew, touched, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us, what? Peace. And by his wounds we are healed. Jacob was touched by God, stricken, smitten, afflicted, and so was Jesus. Jesus was wounded by God, put to grief, verse 5 says, and that's what brought us peace. Jacob finally saw reconciliation with Esau, and he said something weird. He said, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. Hmm. Why did he say that? I think in part it's because peace and reconciliation with God is what he really longed for most. If we don't have that, I mean, the the children at the kids' talk this morning articulated (laughs) what most of us are afraid to say which is when we've done something wrong and we know it's wrong, our insides start to churn. You get butterflies in your stomach. Your heart feels kind of tickly, I think is what Nora said. It's because we need reconciliation with our father. We don't want to look him in the face anymore. Can you imagine looking God in the face, eye to eye, and not feeling ashamed? Do you know what it takes to get there? It takes a confession. And we'll get to that in our next point. We long for the peace and reconciliation with God that only Jesus can bring. We have to look to the true Jacob, the better Jacob, the one who bore our grief and shame, the one who was stricken for your guilt and who bore our iniquities. So that's wrestling at night and touched by God. Number three is named by God. Again, let's go back to thinking about Jacob and how Jacob is named Israel. So after Jacob's been struck on the hip, touched on the hip, he gets a new name. Now I have to caveat this very technically um, just because of, you know, I want to be accurate. In the English translation, it says, no longer shall your name be or whatever. In literal Hebrew, it just says, it shall no longer be said of you, Jacob. Now, that's important because in a couple chapters, Jacob meets God at Bethel again, and God names him Israel. And that text, it says, your name is now Israel. So here, the angel is actually saying, you're not the kind of person that's going to be called heel grabber anymore, and you're going to get a new name. Anyway, that's aside the point. So after Jacob struck in the hip, the man said to him, what's your name? And now what he did is he makes a confession Because in the ancient world, self-disclosing your name like that's not just a casual affair. And in this kind of a context, he's not just like wearing a name badge, hi, my name is Jacob. Remember, Yaakov, Jacob, means the one who grabbed the heel, the deceiver, the trickster. And so he's just wrestled God. The sun rises. He starts to see his face. And this angel says, tell me your name. And he says, 
I'm the heel grabber. I confess, I'm, I'm the trickster. You want to look God face to face without shame, it starts with confession. We have to be honest and real about who we are. See, a name is like a bucket. And everything you do and everything about who you are goes into that bucket so that when you hold up the bucket called John Watson, in it is all the good and bad I've ever done, right? And all of your experiences of me get put in that bucket. So when someone says my name, things come to mind for you, right? I've probably said it before. I was at a Brandy Carlisle concert with my wife some years back. She steps up to the mic and just says, hello, I'm Brandy Carlisle. And the place erupted in praise. Why? They loved her work. The name Brandy Carlisle meant something to everyone in that room. And they were praising her for what it meant. Well, Jacob confesses. He just takes his, the, the bucket of Yaakov and dumps it upside down. Spreads it out in front of the man. He goes, this is who I am. I'm the trickster. I'm the heel grabber. And only after he confesses who he is, only then does the man say, that's not who you are anymore. No longer shall it be said of you, Jacob. That's not you anymore. You've been struck. You've been touched. You've been broken. He says, now you're going to be called Israel, for you have striven with God and men and have prevailed. So Jacob won. He conquered. It says he prevailed, but he only prevailed by being conquered, didn't he? Right? He was the one who was overcome by a touch. Jacob prevailed by being overcome. And his new name is going to be an eternal remembrance of where his strength is really found. That's Jacob's new name. Jesus' new name is what we're going to think about next. Let me read you from John 18, 4 through 8. This is again back at the Garden of Gethsemane. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? He's coming to the, the, the people who are coming to arrest him. And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, I love this, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, sorry, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I'm he. I love this. So if you seek me, let these men go. See, Jesus confesses his name too. Yaakov means the trickster, the deceiver, the hill graver. But Yahashua, Yeshua, Jesus means Yahweh saves. I don't save myself by my strength. Yahweh saves. God is the one who saves. Do you know the man with a name like that? So powerful that the utterance of it by him causes seismic activity. <laughs> Have you met him? Have you been in awe at his name and everything that bucket contains? So remember, Jacob's wrestling with the guy and, and the man says to Jacob, let me go. Well, now Jesus says, hey, it's me you want, let them go. He points to his disciples and says, take me 
and let them go. Guys, that's the gospel summed up in just a handful of words. The best news you're gonna hear all day is that Jesus said, take me and let them go. Him instead of you. And because the Lord of heaven humbled himself and sacrificed himself like that, then he gets a new name too. Do you know that? Revelation 19, 16 says this about Jesus. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. There is no other name in heaven and on earth by which we are saved. Is Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Paul says in Philippians 2, speaking about Jesus, the King of heaven, humbling himself to become a man, to be overcome and struck by God to bear our iniquities. Paul says, therefore, on, account, on, on the basis of that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, every sermon I think I've heard on this text uh, is teaching us about our prayer life, and that's important and good and true, and we'll get to that. But are you starting to see how this story and these characters help us behold the man? Let's go to the last point, number four, limping at sunrise. As the sun goes down, uh, Jacob wrestled God throughout the night, and then his strength was broken as he was struck by God. He pleaded for the blessing. He received a new name. And now as we come to the end of our scene, here's what we read in Genesis 32, verse 31. The sun now rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip, limping into the sunrise. See, the sun sets on his strength, and when it rises, Jacob is weak, weaker than he's ever been, but he's stronger than he's ever been. You see, the kind of humility that he approaches Esau with requires superhuman strength of a different kind. When Jesus died on the cross, after he was overcome, after he was touched by God and afflicted and bore our iniquities, the sun set on his body in a tomb in utter weakness. The text makes certain we know that they put him in there before the sun went down because it was the Sabbath. The sun goes down on a dead body in weakness. But when the sun rose early on Resurrection Sunday, Jacob goes off to his family with a limp. Jesus goes to his family with scars. And when they don't believe him, he shows them, says, put your fingers in the holes in my hands and in my feet and the hole in my side. Jacob's limp will forever be a testimony of God's grace to him and his family. And there is no sweeter and no surer testimony of God's grace to you than the scars of your risen Savior. Jacob's body was broken so that he could find new strength in the Lord. Jesus' body was broken so that you could find new strength in the Lord. So because Jesus wrestled and prevailed 
through being overcome. This is the part where we get to us. Now, we actually can wrestle with God in prayer. That's how we wrestle. We do wrestle. We can wrestle confidently, and we can plead for God's blessing in the name of Jesus, and we can do it in the darkest nights of our soul. And that's why Jesus told the parable of the persistent widow. Do you remember, I think it's in Luke's gospel, he prefaces, it says, Jesus told them this parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and never lose heart. Jesus wants you to pray and pray and pray and never feel discouraged when you don't get your answer yet. Now, as a side note, as a father, if my children ask me for something three times, I don't say keep going. <laughs> I don't know about you parents. Like two, three, four times, I'm like, okay, stop asking, right? But our heavenly father's not like that. Praise God. He says, I'm going to tell you a story to the effect that you ought always to pray and never lose heart. Jacob is a story like that. Jacob wrestling an angel helps us never lose heart, not because we're as strong as Jacob, but because Jesus was overcome so that we could ask in his name with confidence. That's why we can pray and wrestle. And because Jesus was touched by God, afflicted, and raised victorious from the grave, we can also know that God is working all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. See, Jacob walked into Canaan with a new resolve and a new confidence, a new faith that the worst things in his life, God was turning to the best things of his life. And we can say that too. Because the way for Jacob to get blessed by God was not deception or strength, it was to be broken. Now we know the way up is down, right? If, if the best thing that's ever happened to this world, the greatest news ever, is the crucifixion of the Son of God, then surely God can rework anything for good. And surely then we are the people who, to save our lives, must lose them right? To win, we have to lose. To go up, we have to go down. To be blessed, we'll be crushed. And it's better that way. It's sweeter that way. Now we can say amen to 2 Corinthians 12, 9 with Paul. God says to Paul, my grace is what? Sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's the kind of power God has, the kind that's made complete and whole and perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Because Jesus was named as well, King of kings and Lord of lords, we know that our victory is through him. And get this, all who prevail in Christ get a new name too. So you get victory in the Christian life. You do, right? Now, I don't believe in the triumphant Christian life, right? Again, the way to live is to die, right? This is not going to be an easy road for us who follow Christ. But I do believe in triumph and victory in Christ. The way that we prevail is to hold fast to Jesus through faith to receive the blessing that he was afflicted to give us. 
And when we do, when we conquer, when we overcome, we get a new name too. Revelation 2.17 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. How sweet is that? And when the sun sets on this world and we see the resurrection sunrise, we will not go limping into the new creation. We'll go leaping. Malachi 4.2. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Amen? Amen. I don't want to limp into the resurrection. I'll limp all through this life if I have to. But Jesus says we're going to leap into the sunrise. Now, I know it's kind of a strange way to end a sermon on Genesis, but I want desperately for us to behold the man, and I don't know a place, at least this week, the Spirit's put it on my heart this week, uh, to just soak in Isaiah 53. So what I'm going to do is just read Isaiah 53 to you as we prepare our hearts for communion. It should be on the screen, or you can turn your Bibles. Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because... He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes, present tense right now, makes intercession. 
for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us while we prepare our hearts for communion. Lord Jesus, I thank you for sending your spirit to shine a light in our hearts that we may see you, behold you, see something of your goodness, um, something of your glory, your majesty, your kindness, your steadiness, your faithfulness. You endured more than we can possibly fathom out of love for people like us. And I'm a mess. Why would you do that? But I love you for it. We love you for it. Help us now to receive from your hand these good gifts of the bread and the cup that we may taste something of your grace, that our faith may be strengthened, that we can keep going. Amen. Please take a moment and prepare your hearts. <clears throat>